I wonder if you could turn to Luke chapter 2 for me. Just as we're doing that, let me just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of being together. And more importantly, Lord, for hosting and recognizing that you are amongst us. We pray, Lord God, that your presence will impact our hearts, will open up our minds, and will cause our lives to become radiant with your goodness, Lord. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas. Happy Christmas. Shalom. May the goodness of God invade every space that you afford him at this time of year. We need more and more encounter. Three of us say yes. We need more and more encounter. Amen. So let's read this together. It's Luke chapter 2. We're reading from verses 8 to 14. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. I'm sure the Lord will bless the reading of his word in our gathering today. It's important for us every Christmas to revisit this incredible story. And the difficulty we have with that is that we're very familiar with just about all of the nuances. And over the years as a pastor, I think I've spoken from the posture of the cowshed. I've spoken from the posture of the young virgin. I've tried to look at this story from just about every angle. And the reason why I highlight this to you before we start our conversation is simply this, is that familiarity can sometimes breed an unfamiliarity. If we're not careful, we can be so acclimatized to the story, we don't actually get the full benefit of what it's trying to communicate to us. And the words and the phrases around the narrative of the story of Jesus coming to our earth actually sometimes are so familiar to us that we need to try and take a fresh look. And this morning, I would like to take a fresh look at one aspect of this particular passage of the Bible. We're going to zoom in a little bit on verse 14. Perhaps you could read it with me again. It says, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth on whom his favor rests. Now, just prior to that sentence, it says that all of the heavenly hosts turned up at a moment in history that is important for us to pay attention to. What was it about this moment that attracted the hosts of heaven? Well, there was a pronouncement and an announcement to us that something is about to happen and is already happening in our world that is going to change everything. And in fact, look what it says that that something is. It says that glory to God in the highest heavens. These angels have come, these heavenly hosts have come, because there's a, an announcement of a new world order that's about to take place, an invasion from another reality, a kingdom come reality, where God has turned up with all his glory and all his power and all his majesty. And, and the, the outcome of that is seen in the second part of the verse. It says, and peace 
on earth on whom his favor rests. The outcome of this glorious reality of the glories of God invading our ordinary everyday world is that there will be peace on earth and favor on whom his presence rests. So let me just talk to you a little bit about something that I think is important here. What is peace? Because if this is true, where is peace? And is peace truly the absence of problems or difficulties or strife? Because if the angels are announcing to us that God has turned up in our world and everything's going to be better, actually we want to pay attention to the fact that maybe it's not as we expected it would be. Here we are 2,000 years later, and we haven't seen the fullness of that peace. So what is it that the angel is saying is the outcome of the glories of the Lord in the heavenly realms? Well, basically, I believe that peace is simply this. It's not a feeling. It's not even the absence of problems. Peace is the fullness of heaven's reality here on earth. The governance of God turning up on our planet, changing everything in its wake. So peace is not something I need to feel. It's something that I have been given by God. So let me ask you this question. What good is it to say to someone whose body is riddled with an incurable disease, peace I give you, my peace I leave you. you that peace is just a feeling or an emotion. Which is better peace? That they get a momentary freedom from their pain and anxiety or that heaven invades their body with the fullness of the governance of God and his power and his glory, his authority actually rectifies that which is difficult within them to come to terms with. Which do you think is peace? The second one. So in the midst of all that's happening here, we realize that the glory of God in the highest heavens results in there being a new reality on earth. Now that reality was wrapped up in a baby called Jesus, the Messiah, the awaited one. And he came in very humble circumstances. And the difficulty with the narrative around this is many people missed the truth of what was happening here because it didn't look like a big event. It looked like a small event. But how many of us know that God always does that? He turns up in the small and does something great. The day that you and I give our hearts to Jesus, something happened in us that started to happen through us. I remember the first day I realized that Jesus had died for me personally. My whole world shifted into new reality. My life hadn't changed. I was still the same person that had not received Christ all but 10, 15 minutes before, but something turned up in my world and it started to bring with it all of God's glory and all of God's authority and all of God's power to change me from the inside out. So peace is not the absence of problems. It's the presence of the, 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 the order of heaven. And look at that other word there, favor. What is favor? I think we all want to have favor, don't we? Most people I talk to think favor is a really good idea. I think I have a very specific and unique favor on my life. Shall I tell you what it is? I get lots of things for free. People want to give me things. Now, that's not a hint, and please don't line up at the end of the service, but people want to give me things. If I go to a garden center, something that's marked up at 300 pounds, I'll get it for four pounds or five pounds. So if you ever want to go shopping before Christmas, <laughs> I just want to let you know I do charge a fee. This is my favor. I don't mind sharing it with you, but I'd like, to, I'd like a tithe on it. That's all I'm saying. So favor and peace are the byproduct of the glory of God being announced coming to our earth. Glory to God in the highest heavens. 
And we're so familiar with this word. We're so accustomed in Christianity. If you've been brought up a Christian or attend a church, you will hear the word glory. It's said lots and lots of times. People say, the glory of the Lord was amongst us, or the glory of the Lord came upon them, or the glory of the Lord changed everything. But what does it actually mean? What does the word glory actually mean? So I wonder if we could go back in time, before this story that we're reading now, back into the Old Testament. We're going to look at Psalm 19 together, and hopefully by the time we finish our conversation, we'll have a, a, a wider understanding of the term glory. Psalm 19. The psalmist starts with this incredible announcement. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voices go out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. There's a beautiful analogy. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other, Nothing is deprived of its warmth. And go back to that first verse. The heavens declare the glories of God. The psalmist is suggesting to us, if we want to understand glory, we need to look up. It's very difficult for us to see the glory of God in the minutia and the frailty and the brokenness of our human experience. We're invited to lift our heads up into the heavenly realms. A number of years ago, Jane and I moved out of a little town and we moved out into the country. And uh, I don't know if you've ever dreamed of escaping to the country. Actually, after the first night, we wanted to escape from the country because we went out into the country hoping that we would have peace and quiet where we'd lived previously. There were lots of people living around us. And do you ever get people out? So we thought we'll go out into the country and we were there in this house. It was a derelict house we just bought and suddenly around about seven o'clock, it was getting very dark, the peace and quiet of the country turned into something that I can only explain to you was absolutely bizarre. It started off with a noise like this. So Jane and I went outside to find out what it was to be met by this other noise. Well, I don't know what happens to animals in the country, but seven o'clock is not bedtime. Suddenly, there was this incredible groundswell of noise, all kinds of... <laughs> Talk about peace in the country. We wanted peace from the country. But we're standing outside our front door, trying to work out where these noises are coming from, trying to figure out how we can close the doors and make sure nothing comes and gets us. Okay, and we look up into the highest of the skies, the beautiful sky that was above us. And for the first time in a long time, we saw the vast array of the heavenlies. The aurora borealis, the incredible, the plow, the north star. You could see the whole expansive nature of our human and glorious experience here on earth. And the psalmist is trying to help us understand some incredible things here. He wants us to look away from the mundane and the ordinary 
and invites us to posture our souls seeking and searching for the exceptional. The Hebrew word that's used here for the glory of God is the word kavod. And it means simply this, importance, weightiness, heaviness, respect, honor, majesty, vastness. So when the psalmist says, look up to the heavenlies, he's saying, look towards the vastness, the majesty, the weightiness, the profound reality that God is above all and presides in all. The heavens declare the significance, the weight, the honor, the majesty, and the abundance of our God. And here's what we can conclude, that everything else in comparison is temporary. Here we have this invitation to look beyond our humanity to the glorious expansive reality of God, and we are left feeling like a speck on the planet that we live on. And I want to suggest to you that's a good thing. Because if we're not careful, we live our lives with us at the center of all that is real. And God in his infinite wisdom has created the skies and his vast glorious expansive nature is available for us to behold so that we don't feel bad about ourselves, but actually put ourselves in the rightful order in comparison to his greatness. Perhaps you're not the most important thing on the planet. Perhaps I'm not the most important thing on the planet. So when the heavens declare the kavod of God, the glory of God, all his vastness, all his greatness, by result, we are placed in the proper proportions and size in the universe. And how many of us need that gentle reminder on a regular basis? The ancient word kavod comes from a, an older word, which is called kavod, which means the weight or significance or the wealth of an individual. And um, I want to take us a little further into this whole exploration of what it is to understand the glories of the Lord. Could you please turn with me, please, to Exodus chapter 33. In Exodus chapter 33, we eavesdrop on a conversation between God and Moses. Now remember, God and Moses have some history. They have a relationship that's been formed. They've seen, Moses has seen God do all kinds of exceptional things. And now God is inviting Moses to lead his people out of slavery and into freedom. And as you would, Moses is wrestling with the idea. Sometimes God does invite us to do things that seem very, very far beyond our capacity. And I don't know about you, but I always wrestle with the great invitation of God in light of my very small and insignificant life. So Moses is wrestling. And he's saying words like this, and we'll come to them in a moment. Well, if I go, if I go to lead these people, surely they're going to have some questions. They know me. They know what I'm like. They know the kind of person I am. Are they going to listen to me, God? <laughs> I mean, will they take me seriously? 
And his prayer really is simply like ours, I suppose, in moments where God invites us to something exceptional. He's saying, God, I need your help. I need some kind of visible, tangible recognition that this is not just a good idea from me, that this is something that you have asked me to. I suppose he's asking this question, God, please don't let me look like a weirdo. Have you ever asked that question? Some of us have been successful. Some of us are catching up. So they're having a discussion here. And it's a discussion that primarily is about the presence of God. And Moses and God were friends, and so they're dialoguing. And let's read it together. Exodus 33, verses 12 to 20. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so that I may know you and continue to have and find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And this is what the Lord replied. It says, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Then Moses plucked up every ounce of courage in his being, and he said, Lord, show me your glory. God, show me your kavod. And the Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my kavod, my weighty, glorious presence passes by, I will put you in a cleft of a rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. So we know that the heavens declare the glories of the Lord. We know that we're reminded when we look up and see all that he is and all that he has afforded us as we start to engage with him beyond ourselves to the capacity of who he truly is, we find ourselves humbled by the reality that we're not the center of all things and that is good for our soul. But also we experience God's glory in a similar way to Moses. Ancient rabbis suggest to us that this is a, a euphemism. In other words, the term see my back refers to somebody's back who has just been on the spot where you are looking. And so what's happening here is God is saying to Moses, if I was to reveal the fullness of my glory to you, you would not live. In fact, you have not got the capacity to see me for, the, for all that I truly am. But I will allow my glory to pass you by and you will evidence my goodness. You will see my back, which determines and suggests to you that I have just been in this place. And I began to reflect on that and I realized something that so often we see his glory, his kavod, but we don't recognize the purpose of that or we don't even celebrate that in the way that we could be or invited to. How many times have you been in a meeting and something has happened in someone's life near you? 
They came in one way, with no real clarity or certainty about what could possibly change, but needing God to do something, and he has touched their heart. I've been around people for 40 years. They've been embittered and entrenched in unforgiveness, and then his glory comes. And the aftermath is that we see the goodness of God resonating and resounding in a human heart and soul. How many times have we been in a meeting where someone has been incredibly healed from a physical problem or difficulty? We call it a miracle. I've been in meetings where God has turned up in his fullness and glory in that respect, and he has brought back into alignment a body that's been crippled by arthritis. One lady came forward for prayer. She had been for many, many years arthritic and bent over and crushed. And within moments, we didn't see his face, but we saw his back because her body went... So not only is the skies a place where we can lift our heads from our broken humanity and see the fullness and the majesty and the weightiness and the kabod of our God, but God is amongst his people and we see where he has been but just a moment before. Hearts that are healed, marriages that are restored, unforgiveness that's been resolved, and probably one of the greatest and most glorious evidences of him passing by us is that someone came in and they had no knowledge that he loved them or care about that, and they leave with a clarity and a certainty that you could not buy from any place on this planet. It came from the touch of God's glory as it passed them. And the evidences of our lives as we look back across them is that we have been changing from one degree of kavod to the next, to the next, evidencing where he has been in our lives. So just as the stars are given to us to catch our breath and to reposition us in the universe, the kavod of God amongst us is given to us so that we lean into him and desire and require of him a greater sensitivity to his presence and his power amongst us. Turn with me, if you would, please, to 1 Chronicles 16, verse 23. Are you okay for me to do this? You all right? Come on, speak to me. You all right? Just as you're turning there, I want to remind you that as you read through the Scriptures, you'll see over and over again that the kavod of God, the glory of God, is thought about, spoken about, sung about, and indeed declared repeatedly throughout the course of the Scriptures. The heavenly weightiness of the glory of God brings a huge humility to the human soul, but a profound understanding of who it is that we are interacting with. And we need God to pass by us on a daily basis, I believe, so that we can consistently stay aware of his magnitude. If we lose sight of the kavod of God, we lose the ability to understand our humanity. And I think we need a visitation of God. Our nation needs a visitation of God. We need the glory of God to move in our hearts and our lives and in our communities and across our nation. 
Kavad is good for you. It's good for me. It's good when God turns up with that reality. So 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 23. This is one of the examples of it throughout the scriptures. It says, sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his kavod amongst the nations, his marvelous deeds amongst all people. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all other gods, for all other gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory, kabod, and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the kabod due his name. Bring an offering and come to him. Worship the Lord in splendor, in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. So we have the glories of the Lord, the kabod of the Lord in the heavenlies. We lift our eyes above our current reality to a greater reality where God rules and reigns over all things. And we are amazed and we are blessed by the fact that he is weightier and more powerful than we ever realized. His vastness is beyond our comprehension and he invites us to relationship with him. How profoundly glorious is it that we should see with our eyes, with our earthly eyes, the vastness of the greatness of our God, just by looking up into the heavenlies. We are amazed that he moves amongst us with his kavod, his power and his glory amongst us, ordinary people with an extraordinary God, Emmanuel, messing with our lives, if you like, in the most glorious adventure of becoming like him as a result of every touch. But we are also here encouraged to do something more than that, we are encouraged to ascribe, verse 29, to the Lord the glory that is due his name. In other words, to start investing in this glorious interaction with the kavod of God that we ascribe to him, we declare about him to the nations, to our families, to the people sitting around us. We are the kind of people that have been invited by God to ascribe to him the glory that is due his name. You see, you can have all the money in the world. You can have all the trinkets and the treasures that life can afford you. You can have the respect of your colleagues, the affirmation of your family. You can have the most incredible life. But if you don't have a profound sense of the kabod, the presence and the glory of God, then you are unbelievably empty. We were created we were fashioned. We are hardwired for glory. And there is nothing on this planet that will satisfy the craving of your soul for the kavod and the glory of God except God himself. We live in a culture that essentially worships at the altar of change. One thing comes, another goes. It's in for a while and then it's out. It's hot and then it's soon not. And we live in a culture that worships the here and now. But church, listen to me. What every human soul really longs for is something that has always been, something that is, and something that will always be here. We are created to experience, to enjoy, and to be blessed by the kavod of God.
when we moved out to the country all those years ago, we recognized that in some senses we were invited to an expansive skyline, and that was great, but actually we were being invited by God to a different reality concerning his nature and his character. Because the world I live in and the world you live in has lesser lights. We have light pollution in our city, but we also have light pollution in our lives. We create and we offer it to God and say, look what I have done. We're a little bit obsessed with the here and now. We are completely smitten by the latest and the fattiest of things. And actually our soul is desperate for something more permanent. In a world that's ever-changing, he is the rock of our salvation. He is a secure and certain reality that presides above all other realities. He is the light above all other lights. The glories of God, the cavard of his goodness and his presence and his power, his vastness and his majesty is exactly what every human heart desires to experience. And the temporary will never satisfy what the eternal can only offer. Go to Psalm verse 8 for me. Psalm verse 8 says in verse 1, Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory, your kabod, in the heavens. Through the praises of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe of the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, I'm drawn to this question. Look at verse 4. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. For you have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You have put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the wild, the animals of the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, O oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Just take a little look at verse 5 with me. So we have the heavens that decay the covert of God. We have the kavod of God as he moves amongst his people where we see the evidence of where he has just been. Lives changed, hearts transformed, communities restored. We have this invitation to abide and declare the glories of God, to be living consistently with that kind of clarity and that kind of reality. But there's something here that for many of the, the writers in the scriptures, they found it a bit tricky to navigate or to understand. And I will probably, um, I feel very like that. It says, you have, look at verse 5, you have made them a little lower than the angels. You have crowned them with kavod and honor. God has crowned humanity with kavod. God's glory has been placed upon our lives. It tells us instantly that God has a high view of humanity. So we have his glories in the heaven, his kavod, the vastness, the expansive nature, the weightiness of God. 
We have his glory moving past us where we see his goodness. We see his back. We see where he has just been in our hearts and our lives. We have the invitation to declare his glories, to live with a vocabulary of a new reality that kingdom has come amongst us. But we also have this very sobering and very incredible thought that he has crowned our lives with kavod. The glory of the Lord rests upon his people. Someone say amen to that. But why? Why? Look at verse 6. This is why we were given a crown of glory. So you have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You have put everything under their feet. Folks, God has given us kavod for this reason. That we could create, co-create, manage, and indeed steward this wonderful world in which he's placed us. He's given us his weight, his kavod, his vastness. His, he's crowned our lives with the gift of his glory, with the hope that we would use it well. This Kavad is given to us, not that we might become of reputation that matters to others, but this Kavad is given to us that he might become of reputation to others. This Kavad is placed on our lives. You're being crowned with his glory so that you can bring glory to the God of glory. We are here to change and to steward, and to create and to procreate a new kingdom, a new reality for humanity. We must use his kavod well. We must be stewards of the glory that crowns our lives. In Jeremiah 2 verse 11, there's a phrase that's used a number of times from varieties of the prophetic voices in the Old Testament and this is what it says. Has the nation ever changed its gods? There's a question mark there. Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. Now this prophetic voice of Jeremiah and many other of the prophets are addressing the issue that stands before us today. What are we doing with the kavod and the crown of glory that's placed upon our lives? And he suggests and I suggest that many of us have not paid attention to that or indeed maybe haven't stewarded that kavod the way that we have been created to do so. In the book of Romans, it says that we, that's humanity, have fallen short of the kavod of God. In other words, although we've been crowned with the kavod, the glory, the weightiness, the majesty of God, we have not given ourselves to stewarding it well. So go back to Luke chapter 2 for me. And we'll draw our thoughts to a close. Luke 2 verse 14. And of course we're back in the New Testament now. 
It says, glory to God in the highest heavens. And the word here that's used, the Greek word that's used here, is the word doxa. And that word simply means this. God's opinion or God's perspective. Through God's perspective, we are meant to see our world. God's opinion is the only ultimate opinion on all things pertaining to life. What the writer is saying to us is the way God sees things is how things really are. His kavod or his doxa, his weighty presence, gives us a clarity to see something as it really truly is. So the word that's used here is doxa to God in the highest heavens. So let me tidy this up for you. I hope it's made some kind of sense. It's a little bit new to me. So we hear the Christmas story every year, and we hear the announcements of the angels, and we're very familiar with them. And today I have endeavored, and I say this in humility, to try and unpack some of what I understand to be important to us, to think about, to pray about, and to orientate our lives around the fullness of what it means to be the people that get to see in the highest heavens the kavod of God, that get to experience God in his glory amongst us as we see where he has just been in our gatherings and in our scatterings. Also that we would be the kind of people that have a vocabulary that declare him and declare his kavod in just about every environment we're in. And that's going to take a little courage for some of us. But we are also people who have been crowned with kavod. And the truth is, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory, the kavod, the doxa of God. And we live our lives with a vast array of complex realities. We give ourselves to all kinds of things that we think will satisfy and awaken our soul. And right in the midst of all that brokenness, we find ourselves being told and informed and declared over our world that God has turned up. This baby has come in the midst to that failure to restore all things and to make them new. Perhaps the power of Christmas is that we know we need saving, that we really do need help after all. Perhaps the birth of this child, Jesus, is an announcement to all humanity that God hasn't given up on us. In fact, it's more than that. He wants to rescue us. He wants to save us, redeem us, and forgiveness. And have you ever wondered why Christmas moves people who don't even believe in Christmas? I think there's something in every human heart that desires to experience and witness and enjoy the kavod of God. We long to see it more clearly, and we long to become the people who have been crowned with his kavod so that we can be the greatest servants and stewards to him in every environment that he's placed us in. Would you stand to your feet, please? On Wednesday night, 
I was chatting with a young lady who started to attend here. One of the ladies on our team has invited her. And um, I had a kavod moment. She's starting the adventure of discovering who God is. And just within seconds, I really felt that, that something profound was happening in our little conversation. We were busy trying to move towards the, the prayer meeting on a Wednesday, which I, can I encourage you to come along to that, please? This is our last one this Wednesday before the new year. And his glory passed by us. Just a little simple conversation and he turned up. Aren't you grateful that God invades those spaces? I think about an hour after that, that young lady responded to Jesus and offered him her life. It's the best Christmas present ever, isn't it? When something like that happens. And you know, I felt such a, a, a privilege to have been just a little tiny speck on that journey for her. Just a, a little conversation about Catholicism of all things that led her to invite Jesus personally into her heart and her life. Could you keep your eyes open this Christmas for where Kavod is happening around you? Could I encourage you to look up a little bit more often than we do? And don't worry if it makes you feel small. That's the whole intentionality of it. God doesn't want to put you down. He wants to raise you up. But you can't be raised up until you recognize how high and lifted up he truly is. Will you declare him? Will you speak of his kavod? Yes. Will you wear your crown well this Christmas? Will you allow his kavod to rest on your life? And will you serve him in every environment you find yourself in to bring glory and honor and praise to his name? God bless you, church.